All right, it is time for Radio Salon, our panelists in the studio. First, legal researcher with LaQuant LLC, Professor Cheng Huang. Professor Huang, hello to you. Morning, Henry. And also joining us from Yonsei University Institute for North Korean Studies, Dr. Pong Yongshik. Dr. Pong. Morning. Good morning to you. We're going to talk about the U.S. presidential race and um, maybe get some thoughts on how that affects uh, Korea uh, right now as well, depending on who wins, because there is some speculation that uh, things could change on the peninsula or maybe uh, things could uh, remain status quo. So uh, first question uh, to both of our panelists, uh, Professor Pong. Uh, we all look at the polls, so we are seeing all what the numbers are. Are. And so I, I don't think we can, I, I guess a better way to frame this right now is with Biden having such a sizable lead in these polls right now, what are your current thoughts as to the election process? And uh, uh, is your gut saying that uh, this is Biden's race to lose or just like 2016, uh, we could be in for a surprise? Well, um, 2016 presidential election was the election to lose uh, for Hillary Clinton, the presidential candidate of the Democratic Party. And she, uh, she did lose the election, which was a major shock. So um, just like uh, there were uh, many so-called shy Trumps uh, who were instrumental to the victory of a Republican Party candidate, Mr. Donald Trump, in 2016, I think there are a lot of um, shy Biden supporters who may not be all recognizing the public pollings uh, because Democratic Party was well aware of the um, the mistake they had made in the 2016. They were really so uh, extremely confident about the victory of their candidate, Hillary Clinton. So uh, the sizable leader you mentioned uh, in the range of 10 to 11 percent in the national polls uh, may not mean, may, uh, mean something because uh, uh, this is not a general election like the presidential election system of South Korea. So number of the electorates count. Uh, you have to have at least uh, 270. So uh, it is important to acquire key swing states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Florida, Virginia, and in that regard that the election result is still very much uh, undecided. Right. We should point out that uh, even in those key battleground states, uh, there has been a cons consistent showing that uh, Biden has been in the lead there, albeit at a uh, slightly smaller margin than the national uh, right. poll, poll but, numbers. But uh, um, if you uh, have read the other recent uh, uh, polls of the ABC uh, broadcast company cited in the Washington Post article yesterday, then although uh, Biden was uh, leading in the state of Pennsylvania, which has a 20 electorate, uh, the situation uh, was the same for Hillary versus Trump in 2016. So if you were uh, members of the Democratic Party, you could not relent at this point. Yeah, and I think there is that sense of the trauma from 2016 that uh, there, there does seem to be a case of uh, everybody on that uh, Biden side but saying... I, I, I'll tell you this. Um, uh, in order for the Donald Trump to win the election, he has to carry these states. Bottom line is uh, Pennsylvania... Uh, with 20 electorates, Florida 29 electorates, and Virginia 13, because it's 2016, because the running mate for Madam Hillary Clinton was the okay. former senator of Virginia, Tim Kaine, um, so, and uh, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, those are, no, I no presidential can, candidate has won the election without carrying Ohio since I, I, 1960. Yeah. The only thing I'll disagree is I, I don't think Virginia is necessarily in that toss-up category as much as it has been in the past because uh, it's, it's decidedly uh, become a lot more uh, blue 
here in recent, but all those other key battleground states. Professor Huang, you and I were in this very same room back in 2016. I remember because we're talking about this. You remember very well too, right? And you yes. gave your analysis and, well, look at all these polls. And then we had uh, the, the WikiLeaks dump. And then we had the, the Comey announcement about the probe. And that just flipped things upside down. And really that key 70,000 vote margin in those battleground states of Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin really turned the tide here. I know you look back at 2016 and, and what happened and sort of the shock that everyone received. You look at the polls right now. Uh, what is your assessment going in, again, without any false hope, but also um, seeing that uh, perhaps there, there is a difference now with uh, Trump being the incumbent rather than this upstart challenger? Right. I mean, the poll numbers-wise, I mean, Biden is in a much better position than Cl- uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was ever. And also at the same time, you know, not just the, uh, the Comey letter, but, you know, just, you know, constant you know, harping about uh, the, uh, Hillary Clinton's emails, you know, looking back four years ago, you know, it's just kind of, kind of quaint that, yeah, the national media was really, really, uh, you know, upset about the 30,000 emails being on Hillary Clinton's private server. I mean, right now in 2020s, uh, you know, it just seems like uh, you forget everything uh, about the Trump presidency, but just COVID-19 issue aside, maybe, you know, we, we would expect, you know, Trump presidency's you know, support base to collapse but you know the US being what it is you know he he still has a you know, solid 40% support level whether you look at the polls or whether you look at his you know approval ratings and so forth so uh, yeah, there's still a chance that President Trump could pull it off. And the the, the big uh, the big joker, I think, in this whole thing is the fact he is an incumbent. He has the powers of the presidency to you know pull every variety of levers of power. And he, you know, he's been relentlessly going after you know mail-in voting, saying that it's fraudulent. It's uh, you know and so forth. And you know he he you know he could you know throw a monkey wrench by just sure you know, powers of various you know levers of power that he has at its disposal. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the butter emails thing with uh, Hillary Clinton because apparently there's some new movement afoot by the Republicans to uh, reveal more of the emails before right. the elections. And so the, the uh, cynical Secretary response Pompeo, is, well, actually, this is yeah. going to really damage the Hillary Clinton campaign. Right. <laughs> I might have to change my vote and not vote for Hillary Clinton. Unfortunately, she's not the candidate. So make sure that you don't check off Hillary Clinton <laughs> on your own balance, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, talk about beating a dead horse. Let's talk about the Korean context now then um, a little bit, Dr. Bong. Um, I'll mention it because um, it was part of our quiz question, but Yoo Myung-hee um, is looking like she has a pretty good chance to head the World Trade Organization. Trade has become sort of a major issue with Trump. That's really been the one thing that you could say he actually has a tangible philosoph- philosophical policy outlook on, and he's actually made um, dramatic changes to U.S. policy in that one regard, which is trade, not just with China, which has been sort of the, the key point, but also um, other countries, even allies like South Korea. Uh, we'll, we'll talk national security, obviously, because that, that's your level of um, specialization as well. But uh, with trade, what, what, do you think that it is a big difference between Biden and Trump? Well, um, uh, yes and no, because uh, uh, the status and the power of the World Trade Organization, WTO, has been on steady decline uh, because great powers like the United States, uh, especially under the leadership of Trump administration, uh, has been quite dismissive toward the uh, you know, WTO as an impartial mediator between uh, states in dispute. So um, election of a new you know, head of the WTO would not have a major impact on the direction of the trade policy of the Trump administration if he gets reelected. 
And Democratic Party's traditional power base uh, is composed of the blue-collar workers and unions. Right. They are also skeptical of trade. Right. Traditionally, as you correctly uh, said, that they are against uh, this uh, blind adherence to open and free trade. So even with the election of Joe Biden as the new president of the United States, the uh, uh, multilateralism in international trade system would be in serious challenge. But one thing you do feel with a Biden or like a normal Democrat or even normal politician is that they would at least adhere to international agreements, right? Like free trade agreements or mm-hmm. um, multilateral organizations, memberships and paying membership dues or even like uh, multilateral accords like Paris Trade Agreement or uh, something. So uh, they, they, there could be certainly more skepticism, but at least they're not going to tear up contracts and, right. and uh, just go back on their word. But I wouldn't really uh, expect uh, Joe Biden's leadership would be as radical as a gong ho uh, as Trump administration has been in terms of dealing with the international institutions and multilateral organizations. But what I'm saying is that there is a, a sizable uh, group of you know voice inside the United States very critical of multilateralism. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's how he yeah. got elected in 2016, America First Policy. Uh, the, his yeah. slogans were well accepted. Well, um, Professor Huang, you could maybe address the, the trade issues with a Biden presidency or a, a Trump presidency as well. But certainly, a, 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 as what you see with, with foreign policy, uh, there should be some changes it, it just in the way of dealing with your allies. And I, if we count South Korea as an ally, whether it's defense cost sharing, whether it's the free trade agreement, or whether even if it is being sandwiched between this wider trade war, and we can expect those tensions to remain uh, between the U.S. and China as well. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, the quick way to summarize the, you know, possible uh, second uh, Trump presidency presidential term versus the Biden presidency, uh, presidency would be, you know, I think a Biden presidency will be likely to be, you know, Obama term three with you know, slight leftward you know, the, the shift in the policies because of the changes within the Democratic Party. And tr- with Trump, if Trump wins the election, I think it would be, you know, kind of a, a Trump first term on steroids in the sense, because at least in the beginning, Trump was, you know, kind of held back by various experts, at least within the Republican Party. But now I think he's dropping any pretense of, you know, following any of those expertise. So, you know, I, I, I think that we will see in you know, a fairly big diverging uh, path, depending on who wins the election. So we, with Trump, you say he'll be more emboldened because now he's completely taken over the power so, uh, party. So he will feel zero need now to follow Russian, uh, Russian, <laughs> Repub- that was a Freudian slip, Republican orthodoxy in those matters of uh, trade exactly, and yes. national defense and, uh, and, and whatnot. If Dr. Freud was in this room, then the, your slip of tongue of the Russian, right? yeah. was uh, speaking it through mine. What do you think then as far as the big elephant in the room – I guess here in the peninsula is uh, Trump's uh, beautiful friendship with Kim Jong-un and uh, how that continues uh, if he wins re-election or if Biden uh, becomes president. This um, conventional wisdom that uh, Professor Huang was talking about, that Biden would just be a continuation of the Obama eight years. And really, you would say to a large extent, even the eight years prior to the George W. Bush, there, there's a sense of continuity there. We know about strategic patience and, and how they view this Asia pivot and, and sort of kind of containing the uh, Chinese 
emerging hegemony. But do you really think Biden will just be a continuation of that? Uh, I know that prior to him becoming a national political figure, he was really mostly well-known because he was the senator who served a long time in the Foreign Relations Committee. And so he was one of the senators that really had all these relations with foreign leaders to to, to begin with. Uh, do, do you see any dramatic things going on with Biden as a president? Uh, the door is now open for Biden, if he gets elected, uh, to do something radical. Uh, as similar uh, to Trump uh, having a couple of meetings with uh, Mr. Kim Jong-un. Uh, because uh, just uh, yesterday, um, it was first reported by Yonhap News, uh, by Mr. p y o n d e k u n it's a reporter, that uh, Mr. Brian McCain, uh, who has worked with uh, Senator Biden uh, from 1988 to 1995, uh, when Biden was a member of the Senate, Um, he also, uh, Mr. McCain also served as a deputy under Secretary of Defense for Policy. Uh, he made a very interesting comment to Yonam News uh, during his interview that uh, if elected, uh, President Joe Biden uh, is willing to have a meeting with Mr. Kim Jong-un. Mm. But there are preconditions that there uh, should be... Uh, denuclearization has to be addressed, though, before right. that meeting. Right, the denuclearization has been addressed, and there should be um, very solid groundworks already in place. But uh, the sealing of the <coughs> excuse me, uh, engagement policy toward North Korea has been you know, raised uh, by the uh, Biden team, because the Biden election team has been really conscious of the criticism that Obama administration's strategy uh, based upon patient engagement in North Korea did not uh, really produce any meaningful steps with regard to North Korea's denuclearization. So they can criticize Trump's approach to North Korea as much as they want. They remain vulnerable to counter-criticism that strategic patience uh, by the Obama administration toward North Korea was very uh, unproductive. Okay. I I think what you're saying is that, and and we saw that with the recent legislation proposed uh, in the uh, U.S. House about uh, Rokana's uh, resolution of uh, calling for an end for the uh, Korean War uh, with movement along that. So he, in general, you feel it would be less hawkish than, let's say, Hillary Clinton would have been as president. Right. I I read the uh, the wording of the resolution and uh, uh, the revision as well. Uh, But uh, amendment, I would say, But um, the bottom line for the U.S. uh, government, whether it's a Democratic government or Republican government, is that any declaration of the Korean War, any other major changes, must be made in the context of making important progress on North Korea's denuclearization. So there is still a very different, uh, major difference or gap between South Korean government's approach to the official declaration of the end of the Korean War and the U.S. government's perception of it. And those are gaps that uh, probably would need to be met if Biden became president, Professor Huang. But uh, going back to the lines of uh, a return to potential multilateralism uh, with the Biden presidency, first of all, maybe you can um, uh, add to the discussion of what, how you think he'll uh, approach North Korea. But how do you think he'll also approach the rest of the world? Uh, Paris Accord, uh, the, the completely uh, kind of set aside TPP, which amazingly four years ago was such a huge issue. Nobody talks about it anymore. But all the things that uh, Trump scrapped, do you think they're potentially back on the table? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, beginning of the Biden presidency will be just kind of clawing back all the things that, you know, Trump has done and then sort of trying to go back to where Obama was at the end of his presidency and trying to go, you know, in a chart courses going forward. But I think we might be a little too overly you know, focused about, you know, U.S. foreign policy under Biden presidency. 
this is, you know, I mean, of course, you know, it's understandable given that we are in South Korea and will be affected by the American foreign policy. But at the same time, nobody I mean, in America cares about this. I mean, there will be, you know, bigger things to fry in terms of, you know, just kind of relative importance of issues. I mean, you know, immediately, you know, Biden needs to, you know, deal with COVID-19. I mean, the U.S. is sort of showing a second spike these days, averaging about 50,000 new cases every day and, you know, around, you know, 500 to 1,000 deaths per day. And, you know, you look at the comments coming out of the Trump White House, it seems like, well, things are back to normal. Well, I mean, that's... You know, that's basically how the Trump presidency has gone. And also, you know, there will be Supreme Court, you know, possible packing the court issue coming up. And, you know, basically you know, kind of reversing all the things that, you know, Trump has done. So, I mean, I just really wonder how much of the foreign policy will yeah. just kind of come up in the plate in the beginning, you know. Say, Biggest recession since the Great Depression, exactly. COVID-19. You know, that's you know, obviously COVID-19 effect. So, you know, for at least a year, I mean, I wonder, you know, Biden will really have you know, much of you know the bandwidth to really think, think about the foreign policy in a major way. Yeah, right. I agree with uh, uh, both of you said because uh, in the critical time when it comes to economic uh, crisis uh, since the Great Depression, then any leadership cannot make any drastic changes, especially in terms of supporting fair and free trade regimes or international institutions like the Paris Climate Accord. You have to take care of your jobs, employments at home first. So uh, Biden campaign team is already under attack by the uh, Trump uh, you know, campaign team, as well illustrated in the vice presidential debate that fracking industry uh, may be closed in the name of environmental protection if the uh, Democrat Party will be elect- elected. That kind of message is uh, well received uh, among the constituents in the states like Pennsylvania or any other you know, blue-collar dominated states. So I don't think even if elected, the Biden presidency will be extremely cautious in terms of expanding and uh, supporting free trade regimes. Well, Biden is running on a platform that is widely considered to be the most progressive platform uh, by a Democratic presidential candidate in years, uh, even more so than uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, 2016 platform, which was considered to be actually more progressive than the platforms that uh, Barack Obama ran uh, in the previous two election cycles. That being said, uh, Professor Huang, uh, what is your overall outlook uh, as we head into November 3rd and people go to the vote. Korean Americans, interestingly, have usually been a pretty split constituency. I, I, I just, from personal experience, uh, there were a lot of uh, Reagan conservatives uh, in, in my circle back in those days. And you didn't necessarily have a knee-jerk, uh, I'm a progressive and a liberal if you were a Korean American despite being a minority. That seems to have changed a, a bit right now with this uh, more uh, white supremacist type of uh, environment with the Trump presidency. What is your outlook overall going into it? And do you think that uh, we are in for a long night? Or if uh, Florida gets called early, we can just say um, Biden won? Well, I think it's just not Korean-Americans. But I think you know there is a real possibility that we will sort of have a chaos starting in November 3rd going on God knows how many more months. I mean, if it's close. If it's close, exactly. Well, I mean, even if, I mean, I, I guess, you know, you have to define close. I mean, you know, given... If, if Biden wins Texas, I, I don't know how much they could do, well, you know? Well, <laughs> he could win Texas, but, you know, already there's kind of, you know, sort of a, 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 a overt, uh, you know, efforts to kind of suppress votes already from yeah. the governor yeah. Abbott. So, I mean, those are the kind of levers of power that I'm talking about yeah. in the sense that, you know, yep, if, if you recall back to the year 2000 when the Bush versus Gore kind of went on for many months, it was pure legal battle. 
But now I think in a possible chaos when, you know, it, it, it basically, I mean, if Biden wins the national vote by 10 percentage points, I think that that's probably game, game over. But, you know, you get, get within area of you know, five, six percentage points and, you know, the presidents and his allies can really push the levers of power to kind of, uh, you know, really muddy things up. Then, you know, we, we could be seeing not just I mean, legal battles, obviously, but a constitutional con- crisis, not just constitutional crisis, but, you know, you know, you know, We'll have protests all, all, all across the country and possible, you know, why national this militias. I mean, there have always been a, already been a, the incidents where, you know, one group tried to uh, you know, kidnap a, gov- a governor of Michigan. So, you know, it's, it's not really out of a realm of possibility that we might actually see, you know, widespread yeah. civil unrest, you know, unfolding in America starting in November 3rd for a few months. And, you know, it's, you know 2000 was kind of interesting legal battles going on. Now it would be kind of a civil unrest. Yeah, we don't want to see a Belarus, Myanmar type situation in the U.S. Do we? Right? That's not uh, that I mean, possible. Do right? we really believe that it's highly likely? Because uh, there is a precedent of uh, settling the um, important uh, case uh, in 2000 elections. So uh, that could be a very good case to be followed by the Supreme Court or local courts, and as well as the media. Well, uh, just to signify how old that we are, uh, we're talking about Bush versus Gore 2000 uh, recount in Florida. Many of our listeners probably weren't even born there, and we're talking Bush, Bush versus Gore. Everyone's <laughs> asking, well, what's Bush versus Gore? Uh, that was a good discussion. I want to thank both of our uh, panelists for joining us. Dr. Bong, Professor Huang, uh, thank you, as always. Uh, appreciate it. And we'll uh, talk to you guys again next week. Uh, that's going to do it for our program as well. Our producers are Kang Jin-soo and Kim Jae-san. Our writers are uh, Ahn Yoo-jung, Song Eun-ji, and our new writer, Song Hee-won. Coming up next, we've got Life Abroad, hosted by Na Seung-yeon. Stay tuned for that. We're going to be back tomorrow for yet another edition of This Morning. Uh, We are on at 7 a.m. Look forward to talking to you then. And until then, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you again tomorrow. My name is Henry Shin. Goodbye.